Dear congregation, you probably know that beside his famous confessions, the book for which the great church father Augustine is most well known is his The City of God, in which he contrasts the city of God with the city of man and argues that from the time of the fall in paradise to the end of the world, there are two streams of humanity, the line of Cain and the line of Seth, the ungodly line and the godly line. The first, a line of proud and godless humanism, The second, the line of generations of genuine godliness. Well, Augustine has written his great book, which traces the history of mankind throughout all ages in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5. And we too, this morning, want to look at these two humanities, these two civilizations, these two lines of generations You can find our text this morning in Genesis 4, 17 and 25. Genesis 4, 17 and 25. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth, for God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. With God's help, we want to look with you this morning at two humanities after the fall. First, we will see civilization without God in the line of Cain, and second, civilization with God in the line of of Seth. Genesis 4 and 5 are often regarded, at least the portion we read, as being rather unpromising portions of Scripture. And yet I trust we shall understand when we are done this morning that this portion has everything to say to us about our own spiritual life and about our standing before God. The great question of these chapters is not where did Cain get his wife? By the way, that question does have an answer. He could have married his sister. God had not yet forbidden that. He could have married a niece. God had not yet allowed the interbreeding of the generations and centuries to bring out harmful genes. There was no great difficulty in Cain marrying someone who was another child of Adam and Eve any more than there was difficulty in Adam marrying Eve that was brought out of him. If Abraham married his half-sister, Cain could have married his sister. There's no great difficulty here. 
Other people say, well, the great question of this, these chapters are, how did Methuselah and all these other people live to be so long, to, to live to be so old? Well, we don't know much about that, do we? We don't know much about the aging process. A whole book has been written about it called The Longevity of the Antediluvians, but there is a great deal of speculation. But this, too, is not the real question. The real question of Genesis 4 and 5 is this. To which humanity do you and I belong? It's an important question. To which humanity do you and I belong? Now, one thing we need to notice from the outset about both of these humanities that are presented to us, the line of Cain from verse 17 through verse 24 of chapter 4. It'd be good for you to have your Bibles open this morning as we follow this portion, these portions. And then the line of Seth from Genesis 4, 25, all the way through chapter 5. You notice in both of these two lines of generations that God stops and focuses from time to time on a few individuals. In the line of Cain, for example, he, he focuses most of all on Lamech, doesn't he? The seventh from Adam, number of fullness, indicating this is the, the fullness of this, of this kind of generation, the fullness of wickedness and ungodliness. And then he pauses also somewhat by Laban's sons, Jabal and Jubal and Tubal-Cain. So God has something special to say to us about these four individuals in the line of Cain. And then in the line of Seth, God pauses beside Seth. He pauses beside Enoch. And he pauses beside Noah. So God wants us to pay special attention to various individuals in both lines because he has lessons in mind for us. Well, first then, let's look at the line of Cain. Notice that in these verses, 17 through 24, God gives us several features of this civilization developing from Cain's loins. The first thing we notice is that the civilization develops socially. In verse 17, Cain is building a city. It's the very first reference to urbanization in the Bible. Now, it may have been just a collection of mud houses uh, walled around, but it is the first example in a rudimentary form of what we call today a city. Now, this city was built by Cain, no doubt, out of that sense of insecurity that we saw last time we considered Genesis 4 that was penetrating this wicked man. Cain was a frightened, he was an insecure man. He said in verse 14, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. So it's not surprising that Cain seeks to build some kind of fortress around himself. Think of all the fortresses and all the palaces and all the guards that, that Saddam Hussein is, has, has built around himself, you see, because of his insecurity. Well, this is what Cain is doing in a smaller scale. And he names the city after his own son, Enoch. You see, he's restless, and he's trying to find rest in this world, but he doesn't go to God. He hasn't learned 
What Augustine would later say in his, one of his most famous statements, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. The lesson for us today from verse 17 is that no city of this world and no empire of your or my building can take the place of a personal relationship with God. Restlessness. That is the first basic ingredient of this most ancient culture. And it is the basic ingredient of every culture from the culture of Adam through the line of Cain to the every culture to the end of the world that seeks to live without God. And how true that is today, isn't it? Modern man is just like Franklin Roosevelt said in his, his inaugural address. We don't know where we are going, but we are on our way. You see, man is just going in different directions, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He's trying to build and build, but what for? He doesn't know. Dear friends, the point is this. If you and I will not have God, we are condemned to live as vagabonds no matter what we build and no matter where we go. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. But secondly, this culture of Cain also develops agriculturally. Notice that in verse 20. One of Lamech's sons, Jabal, was the father of those who live in tents and who raise livestock. He's the type, or you could say the prototype. Proto means the first type. The prototype of the nomadic cattle farmer. Then in verse 21, we see that Cain's culture, Cain's civilization, is developing aesthetically particularly in the area of music. Another one of Lamech's children, Jubal, is the father of all those who play the harp and the organ. Of course, that organ is not like an organ today, but here we have the rudimentary beginnings of the division of musical instruments into string instruments and wind instruments. And so there's an aesthetic sense that is beginning to build in this new culture. Music is already part of this new civilization. And then fourthly and finally, notice that Cain's civilization is developing industrially. In the third son of Lamech, we read, verse 22, Zula bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. So Tubal-Cain is involved in bronze and iron work. And the word instructor here actually means one who sharpens or hammers. The idea is that before smelting and forging came into being, surface deposits of iron and copper were hammered out and filed down. Well, the point is this. All these kinds of development, the agricultural, the social, the aesthetical, the industrial, 
are in themselves morally neutral. There's nothing wrong with these things in themselves, is there? But through the godless line of Cain, these things become sources of propagating evil in the city. Now, some people speak of cities as being godless. There's a lot of godlessness that happens in cities, of course. But it's not the city that is the problem. It's not these kinds of culture that is the problem. After all, heaven itself is described as a city. And there will be music in heaven too, won't there? But the problem is the corrupt nature that spoils all these things, that brings sin into all these things. And so we need to understand two things here. We need to understand, first of all, that when it comes to culture, that we who are believers can also learn things at times, even from the ungodly line. Cultural gifts, the gifts of industrial skill and the capacity to create beauty and aesthetic gifts and understanding, are not just confined to God's people. The reason is, what we saw a few weeks ago, that God has given some common grace, not saving grace, also to the rebellious. And that common grace can serve to benefit society as a whole. So, for example, you could have an unbeliever playing a beautiful piece of Beethoven, and you as a believer could listen to that piece and have your mind uh, quickened and your soul in some way enlarged. And you could be uh, receiving benefit from that unbeliever's playing. You see, that's possible. And yet we must make a sharp line of demarcation between this kind of common grace benefit from culture and saving grace benefit that changes the heart from within and convicts of sin and leads to Christ and leads to a lifestyle of gratitude and sanctification. So that leads me to the second thing we need to say, and that is that it's not the urbanization, it's not the city culture in itself, you see, that is the problem, but it's the brutal, destroying power of sin. The problem of Cain's civilization without God is not the city, but the problem is the people in the city who are ungodly, who are not looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And that problem of sin comes to a head in the seventh from Adam named Lamech. Lamech is the apex of the line of Cain, the apex of worldliness, ungodliness. And in Lamech, we see the height of especially sensuality and savagery. Look at verse 19. Lamech, we read there, marries two women. That's the first example of polygamy in the Bible. And polygamy is a departure from God's plan and purpose in marriage. And so Lamech here sets a pattern of what happens when a society degenerates and selfishness reigns and godlessness predominates. That impacts the whole area of marriage and sensuality as well. Now, it's very interesting to, to make a study of the names of Lamech's wives. One was named Ada, which means pleasure or beautiful or an ornament. By the way, the very same name of the woman that Esau, an ungodly man, 
married in Genesis 36, verse 2. The second wife is named Zillah, which means shade. And some scholars say it probably refers to the fact that she had a beautiful head of hair, a luxuriant covering of hair. And Lamech's daughter is named Naamah, which means lovely for beauty. You can see already this morning that we're not just talking about an ancient antiquarian society here in Genesis 4. Friends, we're talking about today, our society. We're talking about modern man in the Western world. And what we need to do is remind ourselves of our own generation in which there is massive disregard for the sanctity of marriage and there is massive obsession with sensuality and outward beauty. Today, America worships the cult of beauty and sexuality. That is obvious from all the sexually oriented advertising, the beauty pageants that abound, and the pornography that destroys our society. This is the ungodly line that runs from Lamech throughout the ages. But not only the line of uh, unfaithfulness in marriage and sensuality, but Lamech is also a type of the line of savagery. Look at 23 and 24. Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zula, actually it's, this is, by the way, is, is, is poetry. It's a song, a, the first post-fall poetic song. Ada and Zula, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, which God said he would be, then Lamech 70 times seven. Well, you see, this is a song of violence, isn't it? A song of pride, a song of vengeance, a song of self-assertion, a song of shaking his fist in the presence of God. Will God avenge Cain seven times if someone attacks him? Well, I am stronger than God. I will avenge 77 times. You see the defiance of Lamech, the pride of Lamech. It's as if he said, I killed a man, dear wives. I killed a man who merely wounded me. I am better able to take care of myself by murdering others than God is able to take care of Cain. So here's a man who, who, who exhibits these twin traits of sensuality and savagery, all flowing out of pride. He's a man who is utterly without God. He's an epitome of civilization without God. Here is humanistic culture par excellence. Lamech, the self-sufficient one. He's lost his love for God, and he's lost his love for his brother also. Well, that's the kind of culture we live in yet today. We have a culture that promotes sensuality and savagery. We have a sophisticated culture, of course, today compared to Lamech's culture. Recently, we saw an ad for a computer company, and it said, we have a machine that can solve a million problems in a few seconds. That's our society today. But the real problem is that we've also produced a machine which in about the same time can destroy a million lives. And so we are very nervous about that, aren't we, in our society? We're nervous about Iraq. We're ner nervous about North Korea because we know something. We know a little of the corruption, the savagery 
of the natural man. You see, modern man can control all kinds of things. Modern man can, can even clone different kinds of animals and is trying to clone human beings. Modern man can, can control a spaceship and take it with a few hundred miles of Halley's Comet, millions and millions of miles out in space, but modern man cannot control his own savage nature. Modern man cannot control the wickedness of his own heart. You see, this is the godless line. And what do you find throughout all this godlessness that escalates and finds its climax in Lamech in these verses? You find that the name of God is not mentioned in the whole line. Now that's remarkable. All along so far, we've been considering Genesis, the name of God pops up everywhere, doesn't it? And God said, and God did, and God saw. But suddenly, we come to the line of Cain, and God is not there. God is there, of course, but God is not acknowledged. God is not in all their thoughts. The question for us is, are you a person who strives to live on your own? Yes, you may come to church and we have outward form of religion, but are you a person who tries to push God away or is God in your thoughts? Is God your first concern? Is God your priority? Is it your great question, what does God want me to do? Or are you like Lamech? Or you say, yes, well, I don't murder anyone, but, but still you say, I want to do what I want to do. I want to be in control. You see, these, this for society used many legitimate things, music and, and, and various tools, but they wanted to enjoy these things without bringing them into the service of God. And that's the problem. And what I need to say to you this morning is this. All your tools, if you're a carpenter, all your music, if you're a musician, every sphere of your life, if you're a true believer, you want to bring into the service of God. You want to be able to say of everything you do and everywhere you go and even of everything you think, oh, that God would be in it. Oh, that God would put His blessing upon it. You see, that's the difference between these two lines. The line of Seth also used these legitimate things. They also, no doubt, used music and tools. But this line did it in the service of God. And so the question that comes to us this morning is this. Is God in the foreground in our lives? And I say to you bluntly, but I hope honestly, that if anything is more important to you in this life, more valuable, more enjoyable than God, you are yet unsaved. Well, let's turn now and look at a much nicer line, the line of Seth. The line of Seth, the civilization with God, begins in chapter 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, notice that, God's name comes in right, right away, doesn't it? For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. 
Eve says, God has appointed me another seed. Remember the word seed, Genesis 3.15. She was disappointed in her expectation with Cain. But now she sees in the line of Seth, her expectation revivified. Expectation that God would still fulfill his promise through a seed that was now raised up again so that the Messiah would come through the line of Seth and destroy the head of the serpent and become Savior for all God's people. And so she names her son Seth, which means appointed or to be set or placed. As if she said, God has appointed this son. God has set and placed this son for this particular purpose that through him he will bring the Messiah. So here's the glorious truth of this godly line. When God appoints this child for Adam and Eve, he's preserving his purpose of salvation. He's fulfilling his own promise. And if you turn with me just a moment to Luke chapter 3, you need to notice this, that in another long line of genealogy, the line of Jesus' genealogy, look at the last verse of the chapter. Jesus traces, or God traces Jesus' genealogy, rather, back through the line of generations from Jesus, back through the Old Testament, all the way, verse 38, to the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. You see, the line is directly traced. The godly line of the generations will issue forth in the godly one. And that's why the line can be godly. Oh yes, spots of it weren't godly. But in general, God was a covenant-keeping God throughout the line of generations and saved many. You don't read of any of them saved in the line of Cain, do you? At least not in this chapter, as far as we know. Yes, God can take one from here and there. That's possible. But you see, God has a pattern. And God works in the line of Seth to perform wondrous things. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.